Hey there, Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and thanks for joining us for another great episode. This time, it's with an artist who's sure to inspire you with her amazing story. Our guest today is the incomparable Butta B. Raka, a highly versatile and internationally acclaimed artist and musician who truly makes the term triple threat seem quite inadequate. In addition to being a full-time mom, she's a successful recording artist, actress, podcast host, magazine editor, playwright, and author. And today, Butta B joins us from her home in Atlanta, Georgia for an intimate look at her career and to bring us up to speed on what she's been working on next. So sit back, relax, and get ready as Social Energy now presents you with your Backstage Pass. You know, first and foremost, I've, you know, I've got to address the elephant in the room here, Butta. You are the most, you're the busiest person I've ever seen in my life. You oh my do more gosh. than 10 people put together. <laughs> I mean, I'm. I, it was exhausting me reading your your bio and all the things that you're juggling all the time. I don't know how you're not like sweating when you come on camera. <laughs> you know what's so crazy? I think that, you know, being a creative, if I was not doing things, it would drive me crazy. But the more things I'm doing, the more organized and the more focused I am. It's really weird. Yeah, well, you know, there's an old there's an old phrase that says, if you want something done, ask a busy person to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's like the busier you are, the more you're probably going to deliver a product. The reason you're busy is because you get things done. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a certain amount of that, but yeah, holy smokes. I mean, like, I, I mean, you're, you're a wonderful singer. I mean, I just love your voice. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just blown away. You're not like way up at the top of the charts these days, but Jeez, it'll, happen. It. it'll happen. Working on it. Yeah, I know. And the songs are great. The videos are fantastic. I, I, you know, I mean, I love you. I love your new one. Strange Love is great. That was, uh, but you know, you know, honestly, my favorite one so far, and it's probably because it's kind of a retro feel and that's kind of suits my groove a bit is straight, straight in my heart. You know, I actually really like that song too. It reminds me of back in the day barbecues, skating, and everything else. Just getting together with your family and friends. It's a real feel good song. I love it. And I think it showcases the, the, the texture of your voice so well, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I went through a ton of videos and stuff. I watched you live. There's a video of you live with, um, oh gosh, I, got, I had to write it down. You were doing an acapella and you also did, you also did Free Your Mind. You were with some other uh, girlfriends of yours, some great mm-hmm. singers. And you guys did this acapella thing. It was absolutely excellent like live and where was that at it was like centennial park yep centennial park here in atlanta georgia we was in i think that crowd was about five thousand. yeah wow wow it was so it was so good i mean that like uh, you guys were pitch perfect and just oh man just great stuff and so do you have a permanent band all the time yes i have a band that i hire that goes on the road with me most of the time some some overseas i can't take everyone but most of the time i'm able to work it out where i'm able to bring my full band with me okay and how many piece band do you have i have a four-piece band i have two background singers and i have two dancers oh wow so wow, it's a full production wow. yeah it's a full production well that's great one of horns i'll bring you know between one to three horns so it just wow. depends on you know what type of show it is and how big they want it i definitely believe in giving a show you know yeah. mm. well, they, gotta perform well the whole r&b experience has always been that 
you know, from back in the days of, you know, James Brown, everybody. I mean, there was always like the show was everything. Motown, like when you went to see any kind of show, like an R&B show, you got a full experience. It wasn't just some guys on stools looking at their feet, you know, <laughs> you know. Well, but that's so often. I mean, that that happened with the grunge movement. When the grunge movement happened, a lot of these people never really played in places outside of their living room or bedroom. So when they and they get these record deals and you see them on stage and the, the microphones here, the crowds out there and they're looking at their feet. I, you know, I, I'd see that go. Come on, guys. You know, you got to hit on the radio. Let's 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 get some action going here. Yeah, it's definitely a difference between, you know, just being a. Um, a studio performer compared to an actual live performer as well. And right. Thankfully, I'm able to do both, but you know, some people are only good in in one direct, you know, area. Yeah, it's true. There, there's definitely. I mean, it, there's some like a band like Steely Dan. They were never performers. They, that's why they they always felt their best in the studio. Mm-hmm. And you can see even now, Donald Fagan live still. You can tell he still looks a little uncomfortable when he's on stage. You know. Mm-hmm. As, as many shows as he's done now, they now that they actually started playing live. But um, so what, what instrument do you play? Well, I used to play keys and I used to play trumpet, but I don't play. I can I can I can play I can play around, but I, I don't consider myself. I wouldn't do it at a show, but I can do it in the studio to get my ideas out and stuff like that. I can produce tracks and stuff and play, but not not as good as my keyboard player. Right. So you use your you use your keyboard essentially is to get your ideas out and get them onto a demo stage or something where you can bring them to your your like you say your keyboard player and and they start enhancing it from that point. Absolutely. I get lost. I get lost in the singing that I start messing up on notes when I, when I'm trying to do both. Yeah. It's like my body is like okay, you got to pick one. So. You know, then I just start singing. <laughs> well, you know, it's especially bad in the studio when when you're recording in the studio and like, let's say you're self-producing and you've got, you know, you've got your microphone and you, you've got your engineering thing. And now you've got to sing a track or you've got to play. So you're thinking of the levels uh, on that's going into this into the system. And you're thinking about this and your distance here and you're thinking about and, you know, you're doing the job of three people all at once and your brain is left, right. This all the cylinders are firing left and right. You know, it, it is, it can be really confusing. It's really hard to just, I think that's why it's not like you can just sit down and play something and it's magical. You actually have to think it through to get your brain functioning on both sides. Even when you're working by yourself, you've, you've ventured into things that I had, you know, I've never done like okay. not even close. Like, I mean, you've written a book, got an endorsement from Les Brown. Hello. <laughs> like wow i mean that's that's serious yeah you know? it was definitely a blessing my book actually became an amazon bestseller in seven hours from my pre-release which in, was- in seven hours yes in seven wow hours, wow my pre-release and it's called fear of failure so can you tell us basically what the whole concept of that book is about Absolutely. It's called Fear of Failure, Fear of Not Trying. And it is about my struggles, you know, going through a divorce, raising kids on my own, the music industries, the ups and downs, the depression, all of the different things, the insecurities and things that you feel, you know, most of it is self-sabotaging your own self and finally overcoming that and saying, you know what, I'm not going to let the opinion of other people determine who I am because I know who I am and I'm just going to go for it. And I finally, you know, stepped out there and just went for it. And once I did, it was like, everything just opened up, you know? I always wanted to write a book, but I was scared to write a book. And I think it's also 
you know how like when somebody's talking to you and you might hear them say it, stop smoking, stop smoking, but until you're ready to stop smoking, you're not going to stop. So I heard people say, you should tell your story, but fear crept in. Well, who's going to want to listen to me? Who's going to support me? I'm not a mega star. You know, all these things crept in my mind. And I was performing in at this yacht party and this guy, he was speaking and he was like, tell your story. And for whatever reason, it resonated that day. And then the next day I had to go to Hawaii and I was in Hawaii for a few days, you know, on tour. And we ended up having a, a storm. So we stayed for an additional five days. Well, in four days, I wrote the book. I stayed in my room, I locked <laughs> in and I wrote it. And Holy then, smokes. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was definitely cool. And I mean, but you, I was focused, you know what I mean? I had nothing but time on my hand. <laughs> I had already performed, <laughs> so I was focused. So, you know, I went in there and I wrote it. And then when I came back home, I, of course, I had to figure out, you know, the, the cover and, you know, the editing and all that type of stuff. But the meat and potatoes was done. And it got endorsed by a princess and an ambassador. And then it got featured on, they they endorsed the book and then they, they did my forwards and everything. And then it got put, when, when I finally released it, CBS, NBC, Fox, ABC, everybody started doing all these stories on me and then Les endorsed it. And I was like, holy cow you know because like that's fascinating and the, and the thing too is that um you, you were talking about when you're you're writing something and and you know that whole creative process it's like um I, what happens like i if you're like me and a lot of people is that if, if there's no deadline it stays Mm -hmm. half finished you you had you went to you went to that word tell your story it sparked after all those people telling you all that stuff it sparked went i've got to do this i've got to do this and sat down here's my opportunity i'm stuck in hawaii what a, what a nice place to be stuck in but right. i mean but you're you're in your room and now the thing is you're educated too so you're probably a really good typer yes i am yeah I, so I that so that that helps because you're you're a graduate like a university graduate of marketing wasn't it Actually, yeah. I, actually, I graduated top of my class, magna cum laude, the first black president for the Golden Key High Honor International Society. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yes. Well, Jesse, you're no slouch. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. I have a, also have a degree in computer information systems. Really? Yeah, I read, wow. I read oh, my that. goodness. Yeah, you, you've got you've got everything sort of covered, all your ducks are in a row, as they say. But um, I was going to go down that a little bit more of that rabbit hole. The thing is, is that when you're when when they say like I've always said, give me a deadline and I'll me I'll reach it. If you don't give me a deadline, it'll stay unfinished forever. Yeah. But and then people say, well, I was I was just reading something recently. Maybe you've heard it too, where somebody said it's not the deadline that makes you reach your goal. It's the fact that all those ideas have been swimming back there the entire time anyway. Yeah. So it's not like you're coming up with this stuff immediately. You're, it's already been in your brain. It's just now you've set a time clock and you go and you finish it. But yeah. it's already all that stuff has been stored. You've been thinking about it the entire time, right? What were you well, going to say, Scott? So I got, I got a question for you, but when you wrote your book, did you already have it framed in your head? that you kind of, or did it just literally go, boom, it just came out of you? It just came out of me. And that was the thing that was the hardest part, you know, because like I said, I've always wanted to write a book, but I didn't know how to start. So right. I just started and I started writing in my phone 
typing it up in my phone and then I'll say, okay, well, let me add this at the beginning. No, let me push this down. And that's just kind of how it started farming. Mm. Biggest thing is starting. You don't have to know where you're going to start. You just got to start. And then it just starts to work for you. You know, a, a friend of mine uh, developed prostate cancer a few years back and he was sitting there convalescing at home and went, I'm going to write a novel. And he, he, he wrote a novel and it's like, so he was sending me like, as he was going through and I'm going, this is brilliant. Like it's, I can't believe a guy who's never written anything before has come up with this incredible fiction. That's just a wonderful story. But of course, I, now the reason I bring that up is that he wrote a fiction piece. So of course it went to the editors back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, how much of that happened with your story? Because your story was more autobiographical. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it had to get edited, but not to the point where somebody was saying, well, I don't think you should put this. It was more of grammatical editing and stuff like that to make sure that it was, you know, properly worded right and spellings and stuff like that. It wasn't a lot of challenging, you know, sometimes they would say, well, you sure you want to put this part, but it wasn't too much of that. Now let's go. Now we'll get to the music eventually. You were a playwright. You wrote a play. But yeah. okay, how does that happen? <laughs> that happens when you injure yourself and you have to figure out what else can I do. So what I mean by that is I was I, I was on a tour in Bahamas. I injured myself and I injured myself. And when I came back home, I had to be off work for about two weeks. And so that made me really start thinking about, OK, so, you know, if you can't be on the road, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, and so I've done plays before. So I start contacting different people about, you know, being in their plays and everything. And I met up with this one director in a play that I was getting ready for. And we was talking about deep lyrics. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I can definitely write some deep stuff. I said, here's one of my songs. And I let him hear this song called The Storm. And he called me back and he was like, this is a play. And I said, you know, I always wanted to write a play. But, you know, here go to self-sabotage. I don't know how to do it. And, you know that type of stuff. And he says, well, you know, I've been writing plays for over 20 years. I could write it for you. And I said, well, I'm a writer, so I don't need you to write the whole thing. But if you show me how to do it, then, you know, definitely this would work. And so he started writing in at first and showing me, you know, the technique and how, you know, you make it flow, you know, having various people coming in and out of the conversations and stuff like that, because it's a whole lot different from just singing of writing a song. And once I understood the concept, it was easy to flow. And the, the whole play was written within a month. Wow. And wow. Wow. we ended up having, he because of his connections, he sent it to one investor that read it and was like, wow, they, they loved the title. The title was I Cheated So What? And, and yeah, so I cheated. So what? So what what's the premise of the story? Do you mind giving that away? Yeah, it's about the woman that says I've had enough and she cheats and she's like, okay, well, you've cheated on me a million times and you want me to weather the storm and always be there for you. Okay, now the dynamics has changed. Can you do the same? I cheated. So what? So the first Uh lines is I admitted I did it. I cheated. So what? And it's actually based off of a real story of a girlfriend of mine who was married for a long time. They had three kids together. He ended up having a kid out of wedlock. She helped raise this kid. And on the the child's fourth birthday, she took 
her kids to the birthday party and the other mother didn't want her to be there. They, you know, big argument happened and she made the husband tell his wife to leave. And she went crying to another man. And one thing led to another. She said it didn't go all the way, but you know, it did, you know, something happened. And she got home and she felt, you know, horrible. And she told the husband, when he finally came home and he said, you're a this, you're a that, I don't want nothing else to do with you. I want a divorce, but he had been cheating on her and had another kid, you know? And so that was, I asked her, could I write about this? And I told her I wouldn't say her name and stuff. And she said, yeah. So I wrote the song, The Storm, and I played that for the, the guy and Donald Gray, my writing partner. And he was like, this is powerful. So we really got to tell a story, you know, from both perspective, because according to guys, you know, just because they step out to them, they're not connected with the woman. It's just something to do. It's just something to conquer. But when a girl cheats, she's completely over the other guy. She's disattached and, you know, she's moving on the guys it's easier for them because they're not attached to the other woman it was just that it, well according to what guys tell me yeah it's, that, it's a conquest versus to an investment right right yeah yeah and and, and so yeah because i mean i've sort of read up about that sort of stuff myself and that's that sort of that sort of that says it all right there a conquest as opposed to an investment women invest of themselves in relationships guys eventually will but i think initially it's always the conquest can i win this girl over yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was so cool is we had six national recording artists in the play from Christopher Williams, uh, Robert Carey. It was so many people, everybody, including the backgrounds, everybody could sing and everybody was artists. So imagine just the rehearsals alone. It was ridiculous. So yeah. How many songs? How, there, so obviously there was music. It was a musical. Yes. yes. And how many songs were in it? Off top of my head, I think we had at least about seven, at least. Because mm. the it's ending was everybody. But since every last one of us was singers, of course, we we showed, you know, those songs and, and different things like that. So the storm inspired the play. Yes. Now, did, did the play inspire the other songs? No. Okay, so they were all pre-written songs that were ins inserted into the dialogue. Correct. Something that... that worked. Now, did you write all the songs or were they? No, I didn't write every song. I, I inserted, of course, being being the the actor and also the writer, of course, I'm going to insert some of my own songs, but yes. I didn't insert all of my songs because we had so many national recording artists who were mega, you know, superstars. Of course, we're going to incorporate their songs that they were most known for. Um, uh, talking with Jim Valance, who is Brian Adams' songwriting partner, and they, they Brian found, I forget what the actual story is, we've got it somewhere, where Brian ended up getting the job to write the play, the musical, the music for the play, Pretty Woman. Oh, wow. And, uh, and ironically, they weren't going to use any, like they weren't going to use the song Pretty Woman initially. Eventually, at the end, they ended up getting the rights for it. But apparently, Roy Orbison's estate wanted so much money for it, it wasn't feasible for them to use it. So Brian and Jim, and Jim, he, what he said at the end of it was writing the music for that play was one of the hardest things he's ever done in his life. It was two years of writing and the, and the director coming in and going, nope, that's crap, that's crap, nope, that's not. And 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 then off it goes in the waste paper basket, start all over again. He said it was incredible. They'd have to write songs like 10, 15 times sometimes. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, just to make it fit. Yeah. Thankfully, because of the artists, what I would have them do, I would have them send in their songs, you know, the different catalogs of songs that they felt that would fit their their section. And I would listen to the songs. And if it made sense for what we were showcasing at that time, we would insert it. If he didn't, like one of the artists is a gospel singer and her songs, it just didn't make sense for where we had it placed. And so she ended up doing a cover song. But I think everybody else did you know, their own original songs. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and now where, where did the, where did the, uh, the play run? It ran in, in um, Atlanta, Georgia at the Clayton County Performing Arts Center. The place held a thousand people. We had 775 people for our, our first, our big day. And they wanted to take it on the road on a six month tour. But the problem with having six national recording artists, including myself, who's a, you know, tours all the time and had dates and all the musicians already had dates. We couldn't, we couldn't do every single date that they wanted with yeah. the main head, you know, people. And the promoter was like, well, we can't, when I'm trying to promote this, they want to see the people that's on the flyers and which I understood, but I couldn't get that commitment even for myself because I had bookings. Wow. Just, I, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted at all the things that you do. So you, you're sitting, so you, you have an injury down in Bermuda and you come back and figure, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'll write a play. <laughs> you know, <laughs> essentially it was almost that simple. It was like you had to fill your time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it that way, you, you have to figure out when, when you have kids and it's just you, I mean, now it's not just me, but at the time it was just me. You have to really figure out what you're going to do to take care of your kids. And and on top of it, you're not only doing all this stuff, you're also juggling being a mom. Yes, I was juggling being a mom. I have two two teenage boys, DeCorey and Christian. They started a teen magazine, ironically. Wow. 2019, I ended up having to have surgery on that knee that I injured a, a few two years prior in Bahamas. And it ended up, I ended up having a torn meniscus, torn ACL and I dislocated my shoulder. And that left me, you know, out for an entire year. So I really had to figure out what in the world I was gonna do because I woke up after surgery, I woke up in the surgery room to them telling me, yeah, it's not gonna be a six week recovery time. It's a full tear. So it's gonna be a whole year. So I was wow. devastated and so since then, my boy started their teen magazine. It's, it's called Defiant Ones Teen Magazine. I'm the editor in chief. It's been out for a little over a year. They've had from Disney to Nickelodeon, um, NFL stars are featured in it, everything. So it's a real cool magazine. It's for teens by teens. The thing that I love about it is, you know, both of them came together and they're, they're day and night. You know what I mean? So for them to be able to come together and put this put this magazine out and it be received as it is has been a great thing. But I'm the editor in chief and learning how to put the magazine together was tough. Let me just tell you that first one was a little rough. Oh, <laughs> but it was great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many hats could a person wear? And the thing is, is that they've obviously inherited your drive and your entrepreneurship. Yeah, they definitely have. They have that, but they, they're both our actors as well. And they've been on a couple of TV shows and stuff. They 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 know what, what time it is. Our household is not a normal household. In, in, 
So, it sounds like it'd be a pretty busy place. So when you say your sons are, you basically said they're diametrically opposed to each other. They're totally different people. So in what way? Like, what, what's one son like? What's the other son like? Well, one son, one son is extra bubbly like me. I mean, he's the talker. He sings. He plays drums. He produces music, raps. He does editing. I mean, he's just very, you know. He's, that's him. And then my other son, when he, once he got to high school, he turned into liking sports. So he started football and track. We, I don't know anything about that type of stuff. I know about music, you know? So <laughs> I, had to, I had to, I became a football mom and the, the ladies would take me out. I became a mama hawk. They would take me out and put me on the 50 yard line. Uh, a mama hawk? Yes, it was called, cause I, you know, their captain was the hawk. So I'm a mama hawk. Oh. <laughs> they would teach me about the plays and, you know, explain everything to me. Because when I say I know nothing about sports, you ask me about music, I can talk all day. Sports, yeah, it's different, you know. So I had to really learn because, you know, you have to understand if you have to be able to go with where your kids are going. You know, as much as I wanted my son, now he started off playing, both of them played instruments. My oldest son, the one that's football, he started playing the the uh, guitar and bass and saxophone, but that's just not, once he got to high school, he was like, this is not what I want to do. So I have to respect that and you have to support him where he's at. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, where their drive takes them. You can't exactly. force a person to be something. Exactly. You know, uh, and you're a case in point right there. You, yeah. you know, you, you were, you know, writing that book, no matter how many people told you, like you said about quitting smoking, a million people can tell you it's when the light bulb goes off in your own brain. You go, okay. Yeah. yeah. You, like, same thing. Yeah. you also have a podcast, the transparency podcast. Now the byline is discussing the trials and triumphs of entrepreneurs and entertainers, Absolutely. which obviously describes you to a T and yeah. you would, you would definitely be an expert in all that. At least you've lived it at the very least. So, uh, how long has the podcast been out there and how many episodes and what platform are you on? It's been out since since COVID, so since March. Again, I, well, I got released April of 2020. So COVID hit in March. I had all these dates. I was so ready. I'm so ready to get back on stage, you know, understand this. So I got, I was devastated when I heard the news about COVID. I mean, of course, everybody is devastated, but I was like, oh my God. So here I am again, can't work. So I'm trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do? Well, you know, let me start a podcast so I can get it off my chest. And it's easy for me to, to work into fields that I have a passion for and that I know about, you know, as, as opposed to doing something that I don't have no interest in. So, you know, again, discussing the trials and triumphs of entertainers and entrepreneurs, that's my alley. So I called a couple of my friends from Tony Terry, all of these, you know, stars, and and was like, hey, I'm going to start my podcast. Everybody was like, I got your back and started the podcast. I think I'm up to I think I'm up to like number 31. Oh, wow. Right so that's substantial. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's, it's on Pandora, Spotify, iHeart, you know, the digital platforms. But the cool thing is. I have now on seven international radio shows. So I'm on their stations. So I'm wow. on Mix Radio in Japan. I got picked up in Nigeria, in um, South Africa, in London, London Energy Radio. Um, I'm picked up in Canada, Rock Dan Radio. And 
Detroit. I feel like I'm missing and, and a station blaze one radio here in Atlanta. So yeah. Fantastic. How's that happen? How's that happen, Butter? How you go from podcast being picked up to, to commercial radio? Oh, that's the crazy thing. So, you know, I got approached by one of the stations and I was like, wow, okay, so that means that I'm going to have to actually start putting music because at first it was just strictly talking. You know what I mean? Mm. So I started... I started adding music and that's easy for me because I'm a singer and I have a million other international, you know, uh, artists that I know from indie artists to major artists. So I contacted them, you know, when you first started out, you didn't, I didn't know exactly everything I needed to do, the licenses and stuff like that. So I was playing it safe. Well, let me go to the indie artists first because I can, I know I can get permission, you know, to use music and everything, not to mention it helps them get on different platforms, you know? So, So that was my first, the first thing that I did. And so as I started putting, you know, these shows together, I was, you know, doing my regular shows and then I had to start editing. Well, I know how to edit, you know, I use logic, you know, for in a studio anyway. So start going in there, editing, you know, the, the interviews, inserting the music in between, start doing my little shout outs and DJing and, I don't know. Then people start calling me about commercials and it just start working. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're just a powerhouse girl. And, <laughs> and not, not to, okay. So, but the, the, the video for strange love. Yeah. You know, I, Alice in Wonderland sort of take off and stuff. And with, 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 uh, you did it with Homer, uh, Homer yeah. MC. That was, was that shot during COVID? It must've been. Yes. It was shot during COVID. It was shot at one of my friend's house. And, um, it was really hard trying to explain what my concept was. It was a, it's a beautiful shot, beautifully Thank shot you. video. The quality of it is just beautiful. The costuming. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I was paired with a great videographer, well, with a great director that was able to get all of my ideas out. And um, it, it was it was definitely a beautiful thing, because when I say every single thing that I thought of that I wanted, he put in there for me, you know, and then because I know how to do I know how to edit videos, but I don't consider myself to be a videographer, you know, but I can I can get my ideas out on a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I was able to talk to him you know, and tell them, hey, at minute such and such, I need it to look like this. And I need you to add more color depth in, you know, because I want the colors to pop. You know, this is a lot of talk, but I'm able to articulate what I want because I know exactly what I want. And then the costumes, all the costumes, that was all me. The concept was me. And but it was a great team that helped me put it together. Where did you get the costume? Well, it just so happened in, we shot it in October. And that was around the time that it was um, Halloween. So, oh, of course, <laughs> right? Yeah. So all so the costume shops are available. Store. I went to the thrift stores and racked up. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> I went to the thrift stores and racked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We 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 do we do a lot of our shopping at thrift stores. It just yeah. makes sense. Yeah, you know, it makes I mean, sense for the video because you know it was all coming out of pocket. So I needed to make sure we looked good at an affordable price. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's, it certainly came off. And it, what a beautiful setting, too. So that's your friend's yard, you said? Mm-hmm. Wow, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could ask, what was your process in creating a video for yourself? How do you, how do you go from conceptual in your head to actually finally having it locked down for, for broadcast? What's your process? Well, 
my process is really listening to my song and visualizing what do I see when I'm listening to this? What do I see right here? You know, and what mood does it put me in? And with that song, I knew that I wanted to, it, it, it reminds me of being like a quirky, you know, just mystical type of song. And so I really wanted to be able to show that. And every time I would listen to it, I always thought Alice in Wonderland. And I also thought Outcast Atlanta, you know, it reminds me of Outcast, it reminds me of Atlanta back in the day. Right. And so I really wanted to make sure that I brought all of my ideas into one. And um, it, it really turned out really good. The only thing that I had to figure out is because we were shooting in the daytime, have being able to capture every single thing dealing with the sun. You know? Did you did you did you storyboard it or did you just sort of wing it and just? Yeah. Now nah, we winged it. I, I knew. Winged it. I, I said, you know, on this first, I know I wanted this, 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 this. I knew what I wanted at the intro. You know, I knew the sections, but I didn't actually do, do an actual storyboard per se. Right. But I did break it down. Well, was your insinuation that you shot it in one day? Oh, yeah, yeah. We shot it in one day. Wow. I think it took us about six, seven hours. Mm -hmm. And so you had to, like you were saying, you had to be mindful of the sun. Yes, that was the hardest thing, being mindful of the sun. And and the makeup took the longest because, you know, we was trying to change our looks. And so when we went, when I went to the forest part for the dinner at the tea party, I had planned on changing my clothes one more time, but the sun just was not with it. <laughs> so we couldn't, we couldn't make it with the sun, you know, in enough time. You're like so a you walking were... masterclass in everything. <laughs> like, seriously. It's insane. You were, you were, so you were really behind the eight ball there, boy. You had, you had to get that done. You, you were operating basically a one day budget. So how did you find your director? Where did all that come from? I think that's where Scott's question was leading to. It's mm -hmm. not just a conceptualizing of it, but actually making that thing come together with crew and everything else. That that's, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. I just finished shooting actually a commercial video. And I think about the process I went through and I had to actually write a script and think about the shot list and, all this sort of stuff to come up with a four minute right. uh, finished product. Right. So, uh, and I went through all the different stages. And so it's interesting to see your process and how, like you says, working with directors and stuff like how that all come together. Well, even, well, well, I spoke to a friend of mine who shoots videos and everything. And I was telling him, you know, all of the different special effects and stuff that I wanted on the video. And he was telling me about his cousin, Mazio, who shoots for Cardi B and Akon and all of these big people. And he sent me over a video of, that he shot for Akon called Wakanda. And in Wakanda, Akon literally transforms from being a king to a commoner so that he could see how his common people live. And so he drunk this port, you know, this spell and from the witch doctor and he drunk it and it turned him into a commoner. And when I saw it, I was like, that's exactly what I had been thinking about. And it was cool because I had told him my concept before even seeing that. And so I said, yeah, he, he is exactly who I need. And I was like, but you know, I'm, it, I was a little nervous on working with him because he works with so many major stars and you know, I'm like indie artist and everything, but he was willing to work with me. And um, as far as all of the things that I need in the shot, I think about those types of things anyway. 
You know, yeah. I, it's all about making sure that you have all the layers and everything from the background, everything has to make sense. So when you're thinking about, okay, I want to do this dinner shot or I want to do this, you know, this tea party shot. Well, of course, you're going to need you're going to need teacups. You're going to need the chairs. You're going to need the table. What else are you going to need on this table? So I think about all of that type of stuff. But I, th I learned that from from my other videos. And I also really learned that from the play because you right. have to think about the background because you know, just having just the, the, the main part, that's cool, but your background got to make sense too. You know, I, you know, he may, he may have attached himself to an indie artist, but he can see major star. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. That's good. That's great. So, uh, and how, so how is your career at this point? I mean, it seems to me like, Everything I've seen you do is magnificent. Thank you know, you. Uh, it's amazing you haven't been picked picked up by a major. So where where are you at right now? What what do you feel is your next step? You, you seem to be somebody who's totally in control of where they're going. Well, I think the next step for me, I you know, I have a lot of couple of things coming up. I, I'm working on a children's book that's about to drop. It's my first one, and I'm sure it's going to do really good. I'm working on a film that I wrote. And then as far as music, I have, I have, I have some interest now, you know, it's, it, at first I was doing everything as an indie artist, but I think people are finally starting to notice, you know, what I'm capable of and what I bring to the table. And we have some interest now and, you know, hopefully things pop off the way they need to pop off because I'm definitely ready, you know? Right. Well, what were you, what were you saying? What book are you writing? I'm, I'm writing a children's book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm tying yeah. into, you know, from my, from my music video, I mentioned Butter Butterland, right? Right. And so right. I'm, I'm tying it into that. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Butter Butterland. That's Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, at the at the end, of course, he he comes back, and you're you're lying there. You've had this dream, and you're talking about butter butter. He's going, "What are you talking about, girl?" <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. No. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great little story. Thank you. But, yeah, and so you really feel like well, it, it seems to me like if I was a, in if I was a major, I'd be looking at all the stuff that you put together and go, "Wow, this person's got some stuff on the go here." Like, there's not a heck of a lot it would take for them to put you over the next the next level you know I, I think it just takes one one you know that one person to take that chance you know on me and um I, I definitely feel like but even if someone doesn't I feel like you have to be comfortable with where you're at and just keep run, running your own race back in the day I had two deals on the table one with Warner and one with Sony Records and I ended up getting into a car accident and that car accident left me drinking from a straw for six months. It took me a long time to come back out. And when I finally did a year later, the deals mm -hmm. were no longer on the table. Warner had revamped and Sony had signed a young lady, um, had just signed a young lady. And then the third label, Allen Records, they basically told me that, you know, I had missed the boat. Here I am, 18, 19 at this point. And, and it was, you know, it was devastating. So it, it took me a long time to finally come back out as an artist, but I had to, I had to say to myself, regardless if I have a label, you know, backing me or not, I got to have enough faith in myself to keep going and show the world who I am. So I would love a label to, you know, pick me up and help me 
help me get to where I need to get to because I definitely know that I'm ready and I know that I'm just as good as some some of the major artists out there, you know, but if they don't, I'm still going to do the best that I can do and put, you know. Going, going back there. a few years, going back a few years, nobody was going to stop Tina Turner. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. She was going, <clears throat> she was going to make it whether a record company knew it or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's kind of my attitude. I don't want to sound like arrogant or anything or sound like I don't need anyone. I mean, it would be great to have, you know, like I said, a label, you know, to support me because that would definitely take me to a whole different level quicker. But I'm going to I'm going to fight to get there, you know, one way well, or the other. <laughs> the hard part though is you get a label who takes you on and they've got they take you on, you're going, hey, and then they give you a vision that's not yours. Yeah. And you're going, wait a minute, this is my career. And now, now you've got that problem. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. so now you've got this money that's invested in you and they want to take you somewhere that you don't believe in yourself. And that's that's been a problem for a few people. Well, that, I've had I've had offers, you know, since then, since my car accident and everything, I have had offers, but they have to be the right offer. You know, I do know who I am. You know, I'm not just going to just sign to a label just to say I'm signed with a label. It has to be a label that, you know, understands my vision is not trying to change me. I mean, I, I can compromise and everything, but, you know, you can get lost in the sauce and, and it becomes their vision instead of, you know, the artist. So I definitely want to work with a have a label that believes in me as I am and wants to enhance what I already am bringing to the table. You know, you know I mean? some, some artists don't have that creative flair where you do. I mean, you have a creative flair on so many levels that someone else telling you the creative direction, it just wouldn't work you, because you have, you, your vision is so broad I'm and, open and, 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 and at so many different levels. I'm open if it makes sense. You yeah. know, if, if it's good, I'd be like, oh, yeah, OK, great. But if it doesn't make sense, I'd be like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, to, 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 do, to do otherwise wouldn't be smart, for sure. I, you know, so when is your clothing line coming out? <laughs> I don't have a clothing line, but I am thinking about products. I am, I, I am there. I, I don't have anything definite, but I am testing out a couple of things because that's, that's going to be one of the next things. You you met Annette off camera. She just texted. She'd love to know what the inspiration is for your name. Oh, well, actually, in Tampa, when I, I used to live in Tampa, they started calling me Butter when I was singing. They said, oh, she's smooth. She got a smooth vocal, you know, vocal sound. So they would call me Butter Be Rock, Butter. And then when I moved to Atlanta and I began doing backgrounds in the studio, they would always say, yeah, Be Rocker. All right, Be Rocker. She rocking. Yeah. Well, Annette, Annette things with your clothing line, you can start with those earrings. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I actually had a couple of people ask me about clothing. So it's funny that you said that, but I'm, I don't like, I don't know. I, I would really have to figure out what type of clothing. Cause I'm real, I'm real all over the place out there with my clothes. Right. I'm just waiting for you to get to a point where, you know, if you're not getting the right deal from a record company, you're going to say, hell with it, I'm going to start my own. You know, I, it, it's, it's about having the funding to, to really push it the way you need to push it. You know, I'm, I, I don't, unfortunately, right now, I'm just going to say right now, right now, it would be hard to really push it the way I need to, you know, starting a, a record label, but that I have thought about it. 
it's it's interesting. I don't know if you're aware of the band Rush from Canada. Now, Rush Rush were a major major progressive rock band that filled stadiums everywhere. When they started out, no record company would sign them. Nobody. So they started their own record label. Mm. Now, the thing about them, when they started gaining an audience share, they became the first real indie record company that I heard of. So as you know, with indie records, with anything, you're now licensing to majors, which means you get to keep all the money because now the majors haven't invested money in you. They're just piggybacking off all your success. So they became incredibly successful and incredibly wealthy by doing something because nobody thought they would ever achieve anything, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. You know, no record companies would believe in them and they became bigger than anything. And they so they got all the money. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I, I do need to I do need to look into that as well. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to say that that's what you should do. I just, I just found that an interesting story with that whole thing with with independent labels. I mean, I, I think that's that's happened a lot, yeah. uh, you know, since then. But, you know, with Rush, that was back in the 70s, back when people were just signing bands left and right. You know, yeah. and they, nobody would sign them. Yeah, I've had I've been approached by some indies that had major distribution. Again, it, it, all of it sounds great, but it just got to make sense paper wise. Right. Now, how did you how did you get involved? Like your manager is Alice Hall's wife. Yes. And so how did that all transpire? Where did that come from? Well, I've known her. Hey, in Atlanta. Yeah, I've met her in Atlanta. I was trying to think about how many years ago, several years ago. And we really connected at the, I was nominated at the Georgia Music Awards and we, we connected there and we stayed in contact with each other for a long time. And then we ended up, I mean, we've been speaking to each other for a long time, but then recently, a couple of months ago, we was like, you know, we should really do this. We should, you should become my manager. We should, we, we talk about it all the time. I think it's time. Because I can't do everything on my own. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, and and she's a wonderful person. She's got a ton of energy. She's like you, you know. Absolutely. And 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 of course, I met her. Like I did a, a gig with Ellis. I, I'm thinking it's probably. I'm thinking it might have been three years ago now. And I did a gig with Ellis, and um, I talked with Leala backstage. Mm-hmm. And and that's how you say it, right, Leala? Yeah, Leala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure I wasn't tripping on her name. That that would be shameful. But um, so and we talked backstage and exchanged cards and that sort of thing. And then we were starting the show. I was talking to Scott. I said, "Man, we got to get Ellis Hall on. I mean, he's just one of the best things I've ever heard in my life." Oh yeah, know? that was yeah, amazing so, artist. So then, of course, I'm talking to Leala, and she said, "Oh, you got to have butter." Oh man, you got to have her on your show. She's amazing. I went, well, lay, lay it on me, right? I want to see this. So then she st- she started sending me some stuff, and I'm going, what, 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 what? <laughs> I've never seen anybody so busy in my life. I can't believe how many irons you have on the fire all the time, and your mom too. That I didn't know that till this interview. Yeah, yeah, I have two boys. Wow. Unbelievable, you yeah, know, the, and just a simple fact though, as a singer, as a, as a music artist, oh my gosh, amazing! Yeah, yeah. Love, I love your music. It's it's fantastic. It really is. Thank can you. we can we touch on some of the studio work you've done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, you know, you've probably done backups and jingles and all that sort of stuff as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I've Do you had, mind talking about that? I don't mind at all. I've had the pleasure of 
from demos to studio work to just living everything. I've worked with from Akon, TLC, Zach Brown, Collective Soul, Kanye West, Janet Jackson, Lil Zane, Nas. Um, it's some Japanese. So- so basically, basically nobody's is what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the, all the people that are going to say, oh, you know, I used to work with butter. <laughs> you're making them sound good. Yeah, yeah I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of a lot of people. Definitely. That's great. Uh, did you have the opportunity to, to like talk with Janet Jackson, for, for example? I did not have the opportunity to talk to Janet. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I was I in the pool with her, but I didn't get to talk. I didn't get to have a one-on-one conversation with her. That would have been great, but she yeah. was pulled. I was being pulled in the direction that I had to do, you know. So it was, but it was still cool to have gotten that phone call. Yeah. Well, I heard, I'd heard stories. Uh, Cheryl Crow had said she had toured with Michael Jackson for a year and never talked to him. Really? Yeah, an entire year she toured with Michael Jackson as a backup singer and never even had a chance to talk to him. Wow. It was like he he would come in and he'd leave, you know, just yeah. very odd. When she when she came into the room, she was being pulled as soon as she walked in. So I, I got there. I had to do do my job. And, you know, I was yeah. still honored to be there. What, what's that like for you when someone like that walks in the room? And of course, you're there now working with them. What does that feel like? It feels good. It, it would feel even better if I could do like, hey, you know, it takes <laughs> <laughs> selfie. Right. That would be even better. But no, it feels good. It, it feels, you know, it feels great because they're doing something that I always wanted to do and that I feel like I am doing, you know, but they got the recognition and, and they're legends. You know, Janet Jackson is a legend. And um, just like I said, just getting the phone call, I was like, what? Yes. You know, so it's definitely a, honor but i have some friends that like tore toward with her and you know everything and i'm like man it's so cool but you know i can still say i worked with her <laughs> I, I the closest i got to janet jackson this is a funny story uh there's a place up here called bc place stadium which holds about seventy thousand people mm-hmm. uh it's in vancouver and there was this this thing that they had together where people would buy it was some sort of charity. It was called Night of a Thousand Dinners or something like this. And every time these people would be brought in to do a dinner in a weird spot, like one of them, the dinners was they'd had dinner, a, a beautifully catered dinner on the roof of this of the dome of BC Place. Another one, you know, they'd they'd be flying in and out. Well, the the, the this one gig, it was in BC Place. They had dinner in BC Place. On Janet Jackson's stage, she was doing one of her tours at that point. It was a huge stage. On Janet Jackson's stage, riding around in John Lennon's Rolls Royce Mercedes or Rolls Royce limousine <laughs> while a Beatle band played for them while they had dinner. So I had my Beatle band at the time called Revolver, and we were sort of renowned as the best Beatle band at the time. And so we're playing on Janet Jackson's stage to people eating dinner on Janet Jackson's stage while they're riding a, a Rolls Royce around that's colored like psychedelia. You know, it was like wow. one of the most bizarre gigs I've ever had in my life. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that, cool that, that's my big tie into Janet Jackson. <laughs> that sounds cool. I, I, so I think yours is a little bit better than mine. <laughs> no, that's so, not so, but uh, who who books your tours? Because there seems to be a theme there between Hawaii and Bahamas, and 
Yeah. I mean, we, you're like, certainly wanna, hitting I, some nice locations. I, I want to get on your tours is what we're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Actually, what happened is my very first tour was in Ethiopia in Africa. And I had, once I put out my album. No, hold I, it. Okay. Well, let's stop right there. We got to backtrack. How do you end up going to Ethiopia? That's, that's a major story right there. Gotcha. So I did a show for CSAC. As a writer, you either ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. So I put my album out. Then I did my second show was with CSAC. CSAC put me in the mag in the CSAC magazine as the next big thing coming out. And uh, there was a promoter there that books for Centennial Park. And he saw me and he put me on at Centennial Park. Well, my date got rained out. And oh. there was only one date left with this guy named Seven. And I had to open instead of close like I was going to do on my own show. So I asked him, you know, could I take some of his time? So I took an hour of his time and he let me and I opened up his show. It was the best thing ever because 10 minutes later, this guy walked over to me asking me to go to Africa with him. And I, it was real cool because I had been I had been offered plenty of other gigs overseas, but they have to make sense. I'm, I'm not mm. going to just do some just because it has to make sense for me. So this this deal made sense. And I was able to go over there. I went over there for three months and you know, from a chauffeur to they gave us cell phones, had my own room, of course. They flew over a family member for two weeks while you're there. I mean, it was so many perks. And I performed four nights for an hour and a half. And I was like, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> and, and I went there for three months and then came back home for six months, then went back again for three months. And while I was there, uh, someone approached me about doing cruises. And they was like, mm -hmm. have you ever thought about cruises? And I'm like, mm, you know, I don't really want to do no cruise because, you know, the cruise I know people usually are the, the, the singers and performers usually, from what I'm told, they, you know, stay at the bottom of the ship. They got to work all day, you know, <laughs> even yeah. after you performing, you got to still do other jobs. And I was like, that doesn't sound... That doesn't sound good, especially coming from from Ethiopia, where I only worked for an hour. And then on the weekends, they fly me to other parts of Africa for free, you know, so it got to make sense. And so it was like, no, as a as a guest entertainer. And I said, well, what is that? And they said a guest entertainer is just like it's just like a big celebrity coming in doing a one night only in the main theater, you know, with with their orchestra and stuff like a whole that. different matter. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I can do that. <laughs> so they would fly me over, put me in my suite. I, I got to bring two um, additional singers, my background singers, and they would come and perform with me. And we had their band read our sheet music and do our show. They would have, we would stay there for a week. So say like we got on on like a Wednesday. So we, we get on on Wednesday, we perform on Friday. On Saturday, those people get off. And then on uh, and new people come on on to on Tuesday we will perform again but it's for a whole different crowd you know and then on Thursday we're off flying to another place wow. or flying back home so that worked for me <laughs> did you do more than one cruise in, the, in, oh, in succession I, yeah did, did you, I, or just did you do one cruise at a time or were they in succession no, at a time, at a time. So after each cruise, we would come home. But I've done more than probably about 
30 something cruises. I've been everywhere from Spain to, uh, I mean, just everywhere. <laughs> Jamaica, Aruba, Mexico. I have, I have to get back to Ethiopia because uh, in my naivety, all I know about Ethiopia is this decimation and poverty and, and you know, like a barren wasteland. So tell me what your story is on Ethiopia. So Ethiopia definitely opened up my mind to a lot of things because I thought the exact same thing. Now, what was crazy is we performed at the Sheraton, which was this huge, it looked like a big castle. I mean, it was abs it's absolutely beautiful there. They got these big gates and, you know, the the, uh, the guards at the gates and then you open it up and it's, it's just beautiful. Um, but outside of that, you have people sleeping, using rocks as pillows. Mm -hmm. And you know, in the street, you'll have dogs. We're used to seeing dogs. Well, over there you see, you see sheep or you see, <laughs> you'll see cows just walking in or donkeys just walking in the middle of the street. That's weird <laughs> for me because I'm not used to that. So right. it was, it was definitely different. We went over to the, the Blue Now River and there were kids that was running up to us. All they wanted were pens and pencils and flip-flops. And so we brought them the second time I went because I noticed they didn't have shoes and they kept asking us, do you have a pen? Do you have a pen or do you have a pencil? So when I went back for the second time, I brought over pens and pencils and um, school supplies and stuff like that. But um, to me, I had never seen tin huts. People live in tin huts or in mud homes. And what was crazy is you would have a big, beautiful house. You would have like five big, beautiful houses and then maybe 20 tin huts or maybe 20, you know, tin, um, clay huts. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's different for me. And so the ultra rich to the ultra poor. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I didn't see like a middle. I didn't see a middle, not where I was at. I didn't see a middle. And like you would see the women, the older women, like the grandmas having eucalyptic leaves on their shoulders, walking up and down these hills. You would see the kids using what, what we have over here is coolant. And they would use like those plastic containers that look like coolant and they would fill it with water at the lake. And then they would go home and you would see these big tin, um, tubs that they would fill the water and they was using that to bathe. They used using it to cook. They was using it to drink. And I had just never seen that before. Even, even when I was in the uh, blue now, they, at the lake, I saw people drinking, using the bathroom, washing the animals. All of it was happening at the same time at the lake. I was like, this is different, you know, but, but then on the flip side of that, there was so much riches and beautiful lands and beautiful, amazing people, amazing. Uh, but the, the land was, I mean, just so much greenery and just riches everywhere. So it was, it was, it was mixed feelings for me, but it was, it was a wonderful experience. So you've been there more than once, obviously. Yes, I've been so, there. Twice. So that first engagement where the where the gentleman offered you to go to Ethiopia led to another visit? Yes. And So you went there twice? Yes, I went wow. there twice. So I was there for six months total. Wow, that's mm -hmm. fascinating. What a, yeah, what a wonderful experience. Yeah. Were but you going to ask something, Scott? I'm sorry, I, I might have cut you off, Scott. Did you, were you, were you going to ask something? No, I, just, I was just, I was curious, but you kind of already touched on that, was there's there's such a difference in... In, in the in the population there economically, um, did you get a chance to spend 
a fair bit of time with people that were less disadvantaged or that were disadvantaged. In that. And, and you sort of mentioned that by helping them with school supplies and, and stuff like that, because they probably didn't get a chance to see your show, did they? No, no, they didn't get a chance to see my show. Um, to go into the Sheraton, I don't know what the qualification, I mean, it's, it's a regular hotel-ish, mm-hmm. but I don't, I think you had to, you know, look like you belong, you know, there or whatever. I was performing in front of ambassadors and prince and, you know, right. I mean, you know, p- big people and stuff like that. And, and then I met people outside because I didn't want to just stay in the castle. I mean, stay mm-hmm. at the hotel. Of course you want to venture out and in three months, you're definitely going to venture out. And I wanted to see the land and everything. So I made friends with a lot of the com, you know, the, the rec- the people that live there and they took mm-hmm. me to, they took me to other areas and I really got to see, it was crazy. Like, this one guy, he took me to this this place and we had um, we had like the moonshine and we ate and everything. And then he took when we went, but the place he took me to eat, there was a land. There was all these different sheep and goats. And the lady was like, well, which one do you like? And I was like, oh, look at that little baby right there. And I didn't I didn't think nothing else of it. So that was go, the men- menu. Right. I had no clue. It really was. It was. Oh, no. Yeah, it was the menu, basically. I killed the dog. On and they presented it to me because they eat it raw. Some You can have it cooked or you eat it raw. And oh they gosh. eat it raw. And they brought it to me cut up. And it was like, here you go. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm to niche. That means I'm full. But I hadn't even eaten. But it, no. Oh my gosh. So uh, I got to get off this topic. I'm an animal lover. This just breaks my heart. I was going to say, so when you have, um, you said you were there three months at a time and you only played four engagements for the entire time. uh, No, Uh, I played four nights a week. Four nights a week. Okay. That, that parallels. uh, I had, I had a gig myself that I did 10 times over eight years in Poland. It was, and it was at a Sheridan much, very much the same thing. Really? And so you'd, I uh, would have like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off or something yeah. like that. And that's yeah. when I got to travel and see all over Europe. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Kind of like the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, I, okay. So I understand exactly what you were doing. Yeah. So that's, and we were, we were, we were nestled right in the middle of all the, um, you know, what, what do you call it? The, uh, the, 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 all the embassies were there, you know, yeah. of course I was, I was there exactly a year after nine 11 uh, in Poland two blocks from the U.S. Embassy. And I was scared like hell that something was going to happen there, you know? Wow. Yeah, we was actually down the street was the embassy and all that type of stuff. So I actually felt, you know, very safe where I was at. Um, I didn't I didn't have any problems with, with that. And we had security and stuff like that with us. Oh, yeah, we were very safe. But my imagination was running wild because of what had happened. I mean, I was still frightened after yeah, 9-11. That was, that was new. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, my my wife, uh, in her other life, she actually lived down in in Bermuda, and she was in Bermuda. She was only there for a few days when nine eleven happened, and here she is on this island in Bermuda and living there, whole new place, and just like wow, talk about a scare a scary situation for her, you know, because you don't even have your parents or anything to make you feel secure, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so, okay, so now we get back to, um, so your play ran just the one time, sadly, but w- was it ever videoed? Do you know? Yeah, it was videoed. Yes. And so 
so maybe at some time it can have a resurgence if you can put the, the crew and cast together that could actually be a touring company or possibly find a place that's off Broadway. Yes, I'm 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 visiting some some um, different things now to see what makes sense for it. There, the only thing on the video, there was two instances. Everything is clear on the video. The sound quality is great. Um, there was two times when when two different singers were singing that the mic shift shifted and it kind of sounds a little muffled on a little bit of the song and then they you know opened back up it was like when they crunched in right. it kind of you know so we got to get that's the only part so the the thing that i'm thinking about doing now is just having them re-sing that song and just put it as a um, a voiceover and then i would be able to shop the video and everything and actually get it placed and also look into broadway and some other things on it but I can also take it on the road. I just have to figure out, I, I might have to not have six nationals because of, honestly, it's very hard to- well, Yeah, you'd, ha you'd have to have people take their places, maybe take like two or three stars plus yourself. And yeah, that, that, because it's, it, the, the cost of that is astronomical. Yeah, the, really the bad is. thing is everybody was so good. You know, everybody yeah, yeah. was great. I didn't have any problems with anyone. Um, nobody was a diva. I mean, it was, it was, the chemistry was really good. So how do you get rid of, how do you write off somebody that was great at what they did? And that was, you know, just so such a team player. So it's really hard for me because I'm attached as an artist to another artist that was right. pouring their heart out and giving me what I needed on stage. So, so you were using lavalier microphones then for, yeah. this, for the show. Yeah. I, I remember going to see a Nat King Cole show. And at the time, I wasn't understanding how it worked because it was almost invisible. Because there's a scene where Nat King Cole is walking down the aisle of the theater singing. And it's like you hear him perfectly. And there's an orchestra mm -hmm. playing in the pit and all that stuff. And I'm kind of, what the heck? Not realizing there's this little wee wire that sticks yeah. out right here. You can barely see that has yeah. a microphone on it. And that's what they yeah. were using. And so there was never a microphone on stage unless it was a prop. You know, mm -hmm. where not is performing in front of the piano, or he's standing up singing, and and but it was unbelievable the quality of that sound. I couldn't yeah. get over that, and of course that eliminates the possibility of the clothes getting in the way of the lavalier, right? So yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, so you were talking about a, a movie now, a movie script. Now is it going to be similar to you know what you did? Like with the storm, or is it a whole different idea? Or oh, it's a whole different idea that I came up with. So. Okay. Um, can't really talk too, too much about it. I'm, I'm still in, it's already written, but I had initially wrote it as a TV show. I wrote 13 episodes and now I am turning it into wow. a film. How in the heck do you learn how wow. to write a TV script now? Cause that's even different from being, that's like totally different than being a playwright. But not really. <laughs> really? Because I'd heard that when they, when because you always see when something is, when something is a play or vice versa, when something is not a play, you always see rewritten for by such and such, somebody who's a specialist in doing that, yeah. even if it's the same story. Yeah. So. It, it, it hasn't been too hard for me to, to write the two. I haven't, I've never done a TV show, of course, but you know, I, I've definitely written it and now it's getting everything to make sense to be able to put it out. And as I begin writing it, 
it seems like it's going to be easier for me to just make it a film as opposed to a TV show right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot of time and energy making a TV, making episodes as opposed to just doing a film. I think, I, I think you're missing the boat here. I think the real opportunity here is just a reality show where they're trying to keep up with you. (laughs) <laughs> because you know if you think, you think about some reality shows where people are going on in their mundane, I don't say mundane life, but it's like a singular track in their life. But you've got so much breadth to what you're doing from a reality show standpoint. I mean, it, from a public interest standpoint, I'm, I'm sitting here listening and I'm, I'm, I'm I, and now we're on to the next thing. And then we're on to the next thing. Oh, oh what? And a movie and a TV show. And it's like, what, what, what? <laughs> It's just so much to keep track of, but from a reality standpoint, it's the, the problem with reality shows is a lot of times they're scripted and they're not very real. Right. This is different. This is real. And these are real things you're working on with real other artists and professionals. And so the storyline I think is I'm captured and I want to know the details. And I think that's where you've got real opportunity. It's just some following me around with a camera going, I can't keep up. You know, What's so funny is a lot of people have mentioned that before because not only, you know, my story, but keeping up with my kids and all of the different endeavors because, you know, they have a clothing line, they have their magazine, they're doing all these different things. And then my fiance has his own show, is an author, he's doing all this stuff. So a lot of people have said, man, you should have some cameras on you. The problem with reality shows for me is like you said, they is scripted and they like drama. And I'm okay with drama if it's natural drama, but not just drama just to have, you know, to be on TV. I yeah, don't want creating scenarios that aren't that aren't true. Right. Yeah. right. right. Because you yeah. got the drama in your life regardless, you know, just dealing with regular life. You know? I think the drama for you though is just keeping it all straight from one another. You know, if, if I'm working on this project, it requires this amount of focus. I'm working on this project, requires this amount of focus. Now, how am I going to combine the two? And at some point, you got to have a family night. <laughs> well, how do your family all get together and, you know, just have a regular night with popcorn? And, you know, does that even happen? Because yeah. it's an interesting process. It, it does happen, but but you know, it's crazy. We, we, we take care of our business first and then, you know, if, if we can push something aside and spend that time together, we do that. You know, because right. you have to be able to to balance. You know, you do have to be able to. So to- we've got a question for you. Um, it said Butter mentioned many artists she's shared the bill with. Who would she most like to collaborate with? Oh man, I would love to collaborate with Bruno Mars, <laughs> with Outkast, with Janelle Monae, with Stevie Wonder. There's so many artists out there that I would love to work with. <laughs> if, if you had a choice of one right now. Right now, I would say Bruno Mars. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, just, like, from why? From, yeah, why is that? Yeah, from from his writing to how creative he is. I mean, he's a creator. I'm definitely a creator. He he's a performer on stage. I'm a performer on stage. That show would be bananas. You know, <laughs> and, I, I I'm just blown away that Bruno Mars was like when he was young. He was he he was an Elvis imitator in, in Hawaii. Oh, really? I didn't. Yes. Even, yeah, he, he is as a little boy. He used to do Elvis, a uh, little Elvis show. Yeah. Oh, wow. so that was that was the start of show business. And OK. And what's here's another question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, bet on yourself. 
and don't be afraid to bet on yourself, you know, because again, you can, you can let a lot of people get in your heads and you can sabotage your own self from growing. You got to be okay with growing, you know, and just, and you don't have to have every, all the answers or anything. You just got to take that step. Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand.